This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Back of the Nest. Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com And welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. I'm your host, Chris Hambling, and in this episode, we look back at an incredible performance from Palace, a 2-2 draw away to Manchester City, as well as discuss a variety of topics and listener questions. I'll introduce my panel right after this short message. Reviews, predictions, comments and rants. Send us your voice clips on WhatsApp. 0203 575 1266. Right, I am joined today by, first of all, Mr. Mike Scott. Hello, Mike. Hello, how are you doing? You're not doing too well, are you? No, I'm starting to get uh, a, a cold. You know when, well, you know when you... I mean, I'm looking forward to it in a way because I get to complain quite a lot about being ill, which is obviously the best bit of getting a cold. But I'm just starting to get the, the sort of aching limbs, the sort of cold sweats, and... You know, you might detect it in my voice listening at home if you're used to listening to this show. You might detect there's a slight weakness in there. Um, but yeah, not not too pleased about that. I only started about twenty minutes before we started recording as well. So. Yeah, you're sounding a bit nasally, Fresh. a bit a bit Heskif esque. Um, <laughs> I think I'm a little <laughs> well, bit. I take that as a oh it's a huge compliment. Um, I'm a bit nasally because I've taken up vaping again after quitting for several months. So I'm very disappointed in myself at the moment, Christopher. Very disappointed. Yeah. Well, you should be. Well, you should be talking of um, being disappointed in myself. I also um, was taking the rubbish out yesterday, and I managed to kick a uh, broken plate I'd forgotten was in the in the rubbish. And um, you know, I felt a pain, but I just assumed I'd stubbed my toe on something, so I carried on walking around the kitchen, getting like a new bin bag out, and sort of cleaning a few bits and pieces up. And then I looked down at the floor and it was just sort of coated in big bloody footprints as well, where the uh, plate had stabbed the end of my foot. Good, I, don't, I, I don't know what to say to that. That's, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> you're right to... You're, you're, right, you're right to be entirely silent. So I'm having a great old time of it. Hello, Patrick O'Connor. How are you? How are you doing? Hello, Hambo. How are you? 
Well, I know how you are, and you don't sound great. So, uh, feel better, mate, because that sounds everything you just said sounds absolutely terrible. Well, look, you know, worse things happen, eh? You know, at least I'm, you know, I, I can bask in the glory of a wonderful performance from Palace away at Manchester City. Yeah, yeah, agree. Good, agree. That always makes me feel better. So that's good. Excellent. Well. Delighted to have you two gents along. Uh, so a couple of li- little bits before we get going. Um, so we're doing some transfer podcasts this week. So uh, the first episode should land roughly the same sort of time as this podcast, and they should be daily after that. Uh, we'll be looking at Roy's transfer frustration, the kind of concept that's knocking about a lot at the moment of, of backing the manager and how the board do that. Uh, and we'll also be looking at some of the uh, rumoured targets, which uh, do seem to change on a daily basis as well. Uh, if you want to keep in touch with us on the socials, on Instagram, we are at Back of the Nest CPFC. On Twitter, we are at Back of the Nest. Search on Facebook, Back of the Nest, to find us there. And unsurprisingly, we're Back of the Nest on YouTube as well, where DR's back doing some videos there. Uh, subscribers climbing steadily, so please join the cause and um, and give meaning to DR's life because <laughs> he needs it um, and finally um, if you haven't got any of that rubbish and you just want to email us it's hi at backofthenest.com um, and Mike we've also uh, asked people to you know review us on iTunes don't we yeah we've got 136 reviews at the moment um, which are I'm, I'm, I reckon maybe sort of uh, one or two percent of you so um, please please do I know that all the pods you listen to uh, ask for it, but it, it helps so much. Push us up the rankings means that we appear in people's searches more. That kind of thing. It would really help. Um, but I am going to quote one of my favourite podcasts right now, um, True Crime Garage, and say that is enough of the business. <laughs> That's right. Um, and I won't even bother reading out the WhatsApp number this week because we um, actually need to plug that on socials, um, otherwise people won't use it. So we'll come to that another time. So first topic on the table is the transfer of of Jenk Tosin. He pronounces it Jenk. I've got to keep doing that. Um, And really this came about from the fact that I was very surprised with Roy's comments after the game, but just how open he was. And, you know, these are positive comments because he's talking about, you know, the fact that our director of football, Dougie Friedman, or Doug Friedman, as, uh, as Roy likes to call him, as, um, you know, has recommended him a play and had to convince him to to sign uh, Tosin. And the fact, you know, Roy's been open and said, I don't, you know, don't really know too much about him. I haven't had a chance to watch him very much. So he's kind of still learning about the player. And I think it's very rare that you, you would hear a, a manager say that sort of stuff. So I think, you know, Roy has had some, some clear transfer frustration. Um, and that's been coming out in his comments sort of pre-game and post-game. Uh, whenever he does a press conference. So it's interesting to hear him, him, him talking what you could argue is a positive light, but maybe there's, I don't know, maybe detecting some sort of edge there as well. Yeah, I mean, interesting is, is an understatement. Um, in, in my opinion, it was another very telling interview uh, from Roy. Um, definitely an undertone of um, being a little frustrated or, or at the very least going with a, a Mourinho-style public outcry, um, you know, trying to get people on his side by saying, oh, well, what can I do in these situations? But the two things I pick up from it, other than the fact that I'm sure Friedman hates being called Doug, um, as anyone would be, because um, that is a truly horrible name. Um, one, I think he'd probably go back to him and say, look, Roy, the last time uh, you suggested a striker, it was Alex Sherlock. Um, so how about you leave this one to me? Um, 
And secondly, I don't really understand how you could not know a little bit about Tosin, considering, you know, he's, he's played, he's not played a huge amount for Everton, but, you know, as a professional manager, um, he's had the opportunity to see him play and see what his strengths are. So, slightly odd thing to say, I, I would have thought, because, um, you know, he's a high-profile player. He's not, he's not someone that's just come out of obscurity. What, what's your take on that, Patrick? Because I think that's um, that's probably one of the key points to talk about there. You know, should should we expect Roy to know more about Tosin? Is he perhaps being a little bit, you know, not not underhand is not the right word, but you know, his comments there clearly there's there's a reason he said what he said. You know, is he actually just simply giving credit to the to the scouting network and to Dougie Friedman, or is he sort of exposing perhaps a weakness of of his? Had this been the first comment he made about transfers, I'd probably go what you said. But it seems to me he's making a lot of pointed comments towards our transfer activity or, of course, lack thereof. Because he made a comment, I'm going to say a week or two weeks ago, about the Americans. And the fact, I think he said he spoke to Steve Parrish about transfer and that he would hope that Steve would go to the Americans to loosen the purse string, etc. But it seems to me that, obviously, it seems to revolve around the fact that, you know, there's an issue in the, in the back with our owners as far as, you know, the lack of funds. And even though that one Basaka thing happened where we released, apparently, you know, got the money up front to, to get more money for this particular window. I think there's there's an issue back there. And these comments, I don't think, really help. Now, again, you took the positive spin, which is fine, because it's, it's hard to interpret exactly what Roy's saying. But again, since he said it so many times, I think it's a bit weird that he doesn't, you know, one, doesn't know who Tosin is. I don't know who to- I didn't know who Tosin was before he came to Everton, but I certainly know who he was. Once he was in this country, once he was in England, because I mean, he scored against us <laughs> uh, once, obviously. So it's a bit weird that um, I think that uh, Tolson is is a very short short sample size. Has done very well in a game and a half he's played, a game and a third that he's played for us. And uh, I would think that a healthy body, being that we were so um, you know strapped for bodies, would be a positive. So I'm not really sure why yesterday was the time to make that comment. So I find that honestly to be a, a bit strange. But again. I get all the you know Roy in people saying that you know Roy needs to be back etc. But I think that was a bit strange comment at this time. I think it fits in a little bit as well with the uh, pre-match press conference when somebody asked him um, about the rumours Benteke to Villa or Benteke to anywhere else for that matter, um, and he was equally as short, perhaps shorter. Uh, you know, he basically said, well, "Why on earth would we be getting rid of?" Yeah, like you say, an able-bodied striker in Benteke when we've barely got any, um, which seemed like another thinly veiled way of saying, okay, you've got Tosin, but that's that's not enough. Um, and it's definitely a, a public outcry. Um, I, I don't know whether he's got a history of doing this, but certainly when I've listened to um, you know Fulham fans and, and other people waxing lyrical about Roy, they, they've never seen. You know, he's he's, of, he's often been a bit short, and we saw that with England, but. Um, I don't think he's got a history or he's certainly not famous for moaning um, about the situation that he's been put in with transfers. So it does seem like it's it's as bad as he's had it in life, uh, unless he's just, um, you know, getting to that age where he just wants to moan about everything. And a great point there, Mike, because again, he made, this, made the same comment when we get the same, he gets the same credit about Zaha and he's talking about, well, why would we sell him? We don't want to sell him, et cetera. And, and the thing that I think Roy obviously does not like the transfer window, I think it's very plain to see he can't stand this time of the year. He can't stand the same boring questions every week. He has to address Benteke and Zaha and when are we getting new players. And then he talks about Walker Peters. That was close and that apparently has fallen through. So I think it's a time of year he doesn't really like. And you're right. He seems like, you know, if you're going to get on him about something that he doesn't want to talk about, he's going to, he's going to come off a little either abruptly or just doesn't want to deal with it. I think 
I mean, obviously, we're going to get into some more detail on on Roy's obvious frustration and maybe the reasons for that. And again, around talking about the, the backing of Roy um, in the extra transfer pod, so look out for that. But you know, as a general point on on reaction to the the, the Tosun stuff, you know, part of me thinks that I really hope that this is it gives an increase in trust. You know that Roy gets the final say. You know that's that's clear. Um, and, and should be the case in any players that we try and bring into the club. So it's, it's good that, you know, he's he's listened, been able to be convinced on this one, because it looks to me very much like Dougie has picked a player that completely suits Roy's system, that suits, every, you know, very early days, and, and maybe he won't perform like he did against Man City in every match. But, you know, for me, you look at that performance as a whole, and Roy's confidence in... in you know, his director of football has got to have gone up from that because, you know, Tosin's running the channels. He's holding up the ball brilliantly, technically very, very talented player, works incredibly hard, not afraid of a challenge, in the ref's ear all the time, um, and just loves to shoot, quite clearly loves to play football, loves to be a striker, makes all the right movements. You know, all of those things, that was as, as an accomplished as striker performance as I've seen in a long time, certainly as I've, as I've seen in a, you know, from a player in a Palace shirt under Roy Hodgson. That's a great point. And I was thinking about this yesterday. Um, and it seems like there's been sort of two epochs of, of Dougie. Um, there was the period where he got in um, Erdl Rackett uh, and Yak, who I suppose still is a Palace player. Um, but since certainly in the last year or so, um, he has got a hell of a lot of players that have suited... Um, a style that we already have. So rather than a new engine, just sort of a bit of fine tuning, um, Guaita, uh, Cahill especially. Um, and, and at times they've been um, ageing players or, or, or low-cost players that have, have helped to add to the, oh, we've got the oldest squad with the oldest manager problem. But they suit um, what we need right now. And, and Camarasa was almost um, the exception to prove the rule. I may or maybe still... the. the the judge, the judge is out on that, but um, he's done that consistently, um, including with IU, and and you have to sort of tip your hat to him now. And so I, I know people are going to say, "Oh, you're it's another Palace loving where you're just being nice to people." We should criticise, but um, uh, if it's been up to Friedman, he's done he's done an excellent job on what's a very low budget. So um, it's probably up to the manager to criticise him and ask for more, but. He's done. He's done very good things in the last year or so. Yeah, I have to agree, Mike. And uh, Hammer made a comment about you know um, Roy having the final say. I wouldn't want him to have had this final say. I'd much rather be a collective where he and Doug Gee <laughs> um, agree on things as opposed to it being either all Dougie or or Roy. Because as Mike has pointed out, when um, when Roy is involved, we we got players that um, well, we got a striker that I don't. He might have thought fitted his system, but it didn't work out. Uh, and whereas in the fact when uh, he and Dougie seem to both agree, you get in a Cahill or a McCarthy or an IU, or in this case, uh, you know, well, maybe not so much Tosin, but Tosin needs to fit what, what Roy goes, uh, you know, needs and, and likes. So I'd much rather it be a collective thing because I think for for uh, for the team, Hodgson's players, I I need to see a little bit. I like to see a little bit more flair out of them, and that's why I like the Cameras and, and the Maya type signings. And even though. They might be more Dougie type thing. I think I'd rather have a collective thing than that be just about well, these are Roy quote unquote Roy type players. I think what would concern me is if 
you know, the inference in what Roy is saying and it would suggest that perhaps, you know, he's only really comfortable with players that he knows inside out being offered to him. And, and I, I think in the modern game, especially, you really can't be limiting yourself to, to having that level of comfort. You know, if you think about if he's genuinely giving that brief to the club of, you know, go out and get me four players, but I have to know those players inside out. You're all of a sudden limiting yourself to players that likely he's seen play regularly. So therefore play regularly for their clubs in competitions that he sees regularly. So Premier League players who are starting at other clubs, realistically, um, if, if that's how he wants to think. Um, so, I, you know, I, I took a little bit of concern over the fact that he's made out that he had to be convinced. But I think as with any quotes, you know, even though, you know, and I've seen him actually speaking, you know, you can kind of take different meanings from from what he said, you know, for the words that he's used. And he might well simply just be saying, I'm not taking credit for Tosin. I've been surprised by him because I didn't know much about him because he hasn't played much football over the last two years. And, and what a great bit of work from, from Dougie Friedman. That's what he might be saying. But, you know, we're, we're here to analyse these things. And when you start analysing the words used, it does kind of bring up some concerns. I don't, I don't want to make this go on much longer, but I just wanted to say, I think that goes on more than we probably um, think about. If you think back to Allardyce, um, he brought PVA over, for example, from Sunderland, where he'd just been because he, he knew that he could uh, do the business for him. So I, I think maybe, especially with ageing managers, that does happen probably more than we give him credit for. I think it's a point, and I sort of mentioned this last week, and... Again, we'll talk more about it in the transfer pod, but I do have a concern that in Roy's position, it's just not in his interest to start addressing longer-term concerns around our squad. And it's not really in his interest to look at too far into the future for the players that are being suggested to him. You know, he needs players that can compete now, you know, be in that first team now, pushing other people for places. You know, it's not really... You know, whilst whilst he's trying to get results in charge of Crystal Palace, he's not worried about who might be good in two years' time, um, and it might be a good time to buy them. It's not really going to be top of his radar, uh, and and probably shouldn't be as well. So it's an incredibly difficult balancing act for for manager and board and scouting network to pull all those things together and and do everything that everybody wants. Um, but like I say, more on that in the the extra pod later on. But let's um let's sort of move into the game by talking about Cenk Tosin's performance and a couple of comments that came in. Um, so I'll start the first one's a question, and, and I'll ask it to you, Patrick, first of all. And the question from uh, Miko Kurinen is: Do we finally have a proper centre forward? I'm not sure how to define proper centre forward because I think Benteke is is a proper centre forward, but it can depend on the system he plays in. But I will say this, and you, I'm going to kind of mirror what you just said before because about Tosin. I love the way he ran, he runs the channel. And I'm going to say again, I haven't admittedly known much about him. I didn't know him before he came to Everton. I knew we were in, involved with him. And I didn't really watch my Everton beside when he played against us. But what I do like about him, like I just say, is that I love the way he runs the channels. His hold-up play is, is, is very, very good. His interplay is very, very good. He uh, exchanges positions well. I thought he did well that with Zaha and Ayu yesterday. He shoots on sight and he can head the ball. And the last play that we had like that was Glenn Murray. So... I think he, and for Roy's system, um, I think he, he's going to be perfect because I, I I made the comment last week about my problem with this is going to be, I don't think he's going to get enough service. But if you watch yesterday's game, he didn't need a lot of service. He scored one goal and he could have scored three because he had the the chance that the referee stopped, what we'll talk about later on, 
uh, right after he scored the first goal, and he then he had an, a snapshot uh, in the first halfway of his left foot. So he shoots on sight, which I really love. So I, I really like the, what I've seen from him. It's again, it's a very small sample size. You can't really, you don't know. But what I've seen from him so far, he got off to a great start. We always talk about confidence with strikers, and as far as confidence goes, he just like he's very confident. He's got that first goal under his belt already. So. I like him, and for what how we play, the lack of possession that we have, and, and all that stuff, I really like the way he's gotten off. So yeah, uh, as of right now, I think he is a proper centre forward. Well, I mean, taking those, those comments, it kind of leads us into the next question, which is uh, from Liam Tallis, and it, it, he says, "Does Tosun Tosun scoring in his first start expose all of our Benteke would come good mindsets as wrong? Uh, as well intentioned as Benteke is, he's simply not a Premier League player goal scorer anymore." Um, that is a question. Obviously, it's a loaded question from Liam because it gives away a bit of his, his opinion himself. But, you know, I think that's... I kind of do sit in, in that camp, really, of, of someone who has thought, you know, Ben Seke's been very hard done by. He's not playing in a, in a system for a team that suits him. Um, he's being blamed for not being good enough all this time. And, and realistically, if we put the right balls in the right places, he'll score goals. But then you see someone like Trent Tosin come in and play a complete kind of forward role. And you start thinking, well, why isn't Benteke taking up positions on the back post in similar circumstances? Why isn't he occupying the channels? Why isn't he putting pressure on defence? Why isn't he tackling back? Why isn't he... And, you know, all the things that Tosin did. And, you know, Tosin's come off the back of a spell where he hasn't been playing regularly. He hasn't been backed by, um, you know, at least two managers. Um, and he's effectively been been shifted out to a club that he once, you know, turned down effectively. So, you know, he could he he's coming and he's just he's playing like, you know, he's got something to prove. And you wonder why Benteke can't come in and, and play like he's got something to prove. Just would say that the the two the two issues though are mutually exclusive in that it, it's pretty much irrelevant to Benteke's game whether Tosin is the perfect person for Palace and unless you think that Benteke is deliberately holding himself back so which he's not it's just I mean my patience with it it was exhausted some time ago I, I may be a little bit more um, negative about it than, than a lot of other people and I would have happily seen him gone out on loan but um, I, I don't think Tosin if he does fit in I mean he's only played let's forget not forget he's played a, a game and a bit um doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be great for the rest of the season. Hopefully he will, but I don't see how that affects um, Benteke being probably the wrong person for us. Um, having said that, if Tyson gets injured, um, Benteke is probably still needed. As as Roy said, um, he's not remotely similar to IU either. Um, but it, it, talking about him being a championship player, is, it's got nothing to do with how good or bad Tyson is. They're, they're different players that have different strengths and they always have done and always will do. No, of course, but, but it does, I think there's a, there's an element of truth in that it exposes, you know, the, the kind of attitude of trying to put something right. You know, again, I said at the end of what I said previously that, you know, Tosin plays like someone with something to prove and Benteke doesn't do that. And I, I would, you know, to me, that's actually what's missing in his game. He doesn't play, you know, and I'm not asking him to change the player he, he he is or can be, but if you think about Benteke when he joined, and you think about the Benteke at, at, less at Liverpool, more at Villa, but still, you know, at Liverpool, he he gave defenders a real hard time. 
And we just saw that work rate from from Tosin against Manchester City. And I think, you know, in what Liam says, it does expose that. It does it does show you that there was another way for Benteke to perform without having to go against what he's capable of. He's perfectly capable of, of occupying a defence and, and giving them a hard game. And he hasn't done that for a long while. I, I, I thoroughly agree with that. Um, if, if you're still hoping for Benteke to come good, that's the same sentimentalism that would want Glenn Murray back at the age of 93 or whatever he is. Um, I can't see it happening. It's been too long. And, and um, you know, that's the kind of thing Simon Jordan would say, well, basics of business, if you've been losing money for long enough, sometimes you just have to give up and realise you won't lose any more money. But if you carry on ploughing money into it, you'll keep losing more. So uh, in that respect, yeah, absolutely. And the uh, last thing I just add is that the thing about that Benteke is finding and Palace fans in general is that, you know, we love a quote-unquote trier and Benteke sometimes doesn't look like he's trying, even though I think he always is. And Tolson, from 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 the first time he ran on Sales Park last week, he you could tell he's, he's trying, working hard. And it works out for him, and that's great. And the second thing I'll say is that um, game, you know, silly cliche, but the football's a game of inches. And remember the first, the first game against Man City at home, the great header by Benteke saved by Edison. I mean, a brilliant save. Benteke pulls up a similar save yesterday on Tolson, and he doesn't score. What are we saying today? So again, it's 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 very very small margin. But I understand how people can compare Tolson to Benteke and think that Tolson already is a better player. Um, again, it's very very early. Now, really good point that Patrick, and, and we'll have to wait and see. And it is so early in in you know, Jenk Tosin's Palace career that, you know, we have to be mindful not to, to hail him as, as the, the second coming and, you know, the man who's going to lead us into Europe or anything like that. I think, you know, um, as we'll probably talk about, I, I guess as we review the game, you know, sometimes, you know, a difficult opponent like this suits the system that you're playing and, you know, let's let's see what happens when we play teams that we perhaps should be going out and beating and, and being a bit more on the front foot. Let's see how he how he contributes then. But very very promising. You know, I'm very very positive about the whole thing. Um, and talking about being positive, let's talk about what was largely speaking an incredibly positive game uh, and a, and a really strong performance. And you know, addressing some of the things we talked about last week, it certainly wasn't a poor first half performance. It was. Um, very organised, intensity was right, exactly as it should be from the very start. Um, we had to work incredibly hard, rely on a lot of luck in some circumstances and also some fantastic defending uh, not to fall behind before we went ahead. Obviously pegged back later on, thought we'd lost the game, but you know, never say die attitude and all that kind of stuff. And it put us in a really good place. Um, and I'll, I'll take Richard Gray's comments off of Facebook as well. You know, he talked about that. You know, he feels we're good value for the for the point. Um, he talked about the, the possible penalty on Zaha, which we'll go through later on. Um, but he said, "Well taken opener." You know, quality from all involved, which was absolutely right. Um, his his man of the match was Ayu. Most people think said Satosin, but he's talked about how you know the yards he puts in, the shift he puts in, it's just non-stop. And you know, summarised with a good performance from an injury ravaged side, which is easy to forget sometimes. You know, I we got I got the whole way through that game. Um saw the post match interviews for I remembered we had so many players out injured, you know, kind of completely f- forgot because it was such a strong performance. Uh, and because so many stepped up. So I thought that was um yeah, it's, it's it's the best I've seen us play for a while. And I think one of the so first thing I want to talk about, gents, if if I may, is just how our average positions, um, we talked about last week, you know, against Arsenal. 
um, how difficult a game that Wilfred Zaha had, as an example, um, because of how he was sort of double and, and, and tripled up on. In this game, it's pretty clear, looking at the way the team set up and how the how the players played throughout the the ninety minutes, that you know, as as you'd expect, Pep Guardiola has trusted his team to play appropriately. And what he did was he allowed um, Cancelo to attack down the right and try and occupy Zaha that way, making him you know up the wrong end of the pitch. But he also did leave him one on one and just just gave with the instruction probably well it wasn't probably it was a definite instruction for John Stones to come across as soon as. Wilf was one on one with with Cancelo, and you know that that gave Wilf that little bit of extra space. You know, lots of people talked last week about how oh his heart's not in it, he's he's down tools, and what a load of rubbish that was. Uh, and in this game, not a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination for him, especially early on. But it just shows you the difference when a player is you know when he is given that space by by the way the opposition approach him. It's no coincidence that we've done as well as we have against um, top six sides in the last few seasons. Um, so Man City absolutely back themselves to score at least one more than they're going to concede. Um, if you talk about John Stones, he's had his fair amount of critics, especially in the England shirt, and, and I would be one of those people that criticised him um, as an England fan. He's immensely pissed me off in the past. Um, but they don't need to be doubling and tripping up on Zaha. So... The fact that we've got such good results and we, you know, we haven't, we've come away from two Manchester away trips this season without losing and getting four points, um, is because they're giving him space that um, other sides can't afford to do. Looking at the heat map, the vast majority um, of his heated areas are in their half um, down the left-hand side, as you'd expect, and that's the kind of space he's not going to be given against Norwich, uh, and it's 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 not a new problem. Um, that we we still haven't quite found a, a surefire way to deal with that, but um, it's great that we continue to take advantage when that kind of thing, that kind of position is given to us. Yeah, great points, Mike. And, and the thing is, when you've got Townsend on the other side, also teams can't do that as much as much as I love IU. He's not going to be doubled and tripled like Wilf is, and so the, the space is constricted. But I've got to give credit again to the way that he played yesterday because, again, he took advantage of not having the third player come in to have to mark him. And what's going to happen is you're going to find when Wolf goes to a, 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 another club, you're going to see how much he's going to flourish because he won't have to deal with that. He'll be more like, um, let's say, Sterling on Man City. We has more freedom, better players around him, and he will he will absolutely thrive. So, again, uh, love the way he played yesterday. And, again, the people that said he, he's, he's down tools just don't really watch him as much as I think they should every single week. What was also um, really impressive in, in that performance for me was just how, in, you know, engaged he was with his defending. Coming back, he was all, you know, you could see him organising people, pointing, you know, passing a man on when he needed to take some someone else, and that kind of stuff does get missed sometimes when you know when we're you know playing against these better sides. He can play a huge part in a game defensively. It's just not how we picture Wilf. We all picture Wilf running at players, you know, beating two and three at a time, as we talked about last week. So. You know, for me, a really mature performance, um, and one that right at the end, once again, just pulls out a bit of magic to to get us a, a well deserved point. It was it was him that um, ended up getting getting rid of the ball after um, De Bruyne hit the the the, uh, the crossbar earlier on in the game. Actually, um, but it's it's paradoxical. Bear with me on this because it's not going to make a lot of sense. Um, put the man of the match poll out. He wasn't. He wasn't in it. It was Guaita, Riedervale, Tompkins, and Tosin. And then we asked 
people to comment if they thought it's someone else. Tosin won with 46%, Aguirre to come in second. Um, the, other, the other comments, uh, MacArthur, Cahill, and then there was one uh, VAR in the goalpost as well. Fair enough. Um, but the fact Wilf isn't in that um, is because we hold him in such high regard and he set himself such a high bar. I mean, anyone else, if he'd have, if it had been Andros on the pitch um, and he'd had that performance, he'd have been in the mix. But there's, there's no need to mention Wilf because it's so obvious that he's he's that important and he was that decent. Excellent point. And again, if he doesn't play yesterday, we don't have a chance in that match because again, Man City has to account for a Wilfred Zaha. And the truth of the matter is they don't account for anybody else on our side as much as him. And the fact he's on that field, he's our main outlet and he's on that pitch uh, really does point to the fact that without him yesterday, we have no chance. That's a very good point, Mike. So another, another thing that, uh, again, Mike, you touched on this a little bit, I guess, um, in, in some of the things that you were saying. Um, and that's where you, the, the three defensive midfield system, and uh, again, I don't want to be too, I mean, it's quite critical to call them defensive midfielders, but they are sort of defensive leaning. They don't always play a defensive midfield role. But obviously the, the two Maccas and Coyote um, in, in a midfield three in this game, well, it's no coincidence that that system sees us get good results against good teams on a fairly regular basis. You know, we we are not going to allow us to get dragged into the negative of how playing that same system against lesser opposition. You know, that's where people get upset. We all know that we don't need to draw attention to it. But in this particular game, it worked incredibly well um, because we we you know we had to make a decision. We had to make, you know, you have to decide, do you give Manchester City space through the middle or do you give them space out wide? Because the simple truth is you can't deny them space everywhere on the pitch. You know, we they will have so much of the ball that if you press every area of the pitch, your players will be knackered after 40 minutes. You, you know, you'll get, and you'll get nothing and you'll get well beaten. You have to allow them to have the ball in certain areas. So you allow them to knock it about at the back. And in this case, we decided that the fullbacks are going to be allowed to overlap and we'll just have to rely on Wilf and Ayu to get as close as possible. But chances are they're going to be putting crosses in the box. So our centre-backs um, and our fullbacks would have to get a bit narrow and we'll just have to focus on heading those away before Man City get any opportunity to do anything with it. And that was our game plan. And, you know, the, the three centre-defensive midfielders allowed, you know, doing that screening job and doing that support out wide where, Either one of the Maccas would go out left and, and Coyote would go out right and support the defensive efforts out there. You know, that's the system. That's, you know, and everybody knows where they need to be. And it just works so, so well against Manchester City um, until late on when, when they had to make huge changes in personnel and a system to get extra bodies in there to put us under enough pressure that, we, that it would eventually count. Um, and obviously, we'll analyse the goals in a bit. But for me, that's where the game. We, we, well, the game plan worked so well, and and what Manchester just shows what Manchester City had to do to change it. So, anyway, I'm, <laughs> yeah, you've got some comments on that, Mike. I talked for a long a long time there. Yeah, I just wanted to add that I think for me, um, the thing that made it work, especially, um, they knocked a lot of balls in um, from wide, uh, as as they always do. Um, you know, San is not there to to, to do the, the Zaha role, so. They cro- and especially when Mahrez came on, and obviously that's when they got the joy. I thought he changed the game. But um, the the standard of the defending in the middle of our 18-yard box, 
um, especially when we were deep, was absolutely incredible. And you only get that from managers like Hodgson, Pulis. Um, the, 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 the sheer standard of, of Tompkins, Cahill and, and, and Riedervald's heading out especially, um, it, it only took a, a minor slip um, for them to score the ones that they did. But it could have easily been the kind of score that Watford had, the 8-0, eight, the eight if um, they hadn't have been quite on their game. So the, 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 the defensive midfielding uh, set up obviously um, made a huge difference. But the fact that our defenders are as, as well drilled as they are, um, we give it credit most weeks, but especially it just it just shone through. I want to add, I don't remember his name. I wish I had the co-commentator on the match yesterday here in America, but he said that he uh, played for Hodgson. And he what his comment that he made, I thought was kind of poignant, was that he said that Hodgson's training sessions are extremely boring, but they get you to where you are against a Man City, meaning that you are so regimented with the way that you play. It's very structured that when you get to the game, you can play a game against Manchester City. We don't see the ball. We can pull out a result like a 3-2 last year or a 2-2 this year because that's how, we, that's how they train. So credit to the players because it's very, very, very clear. Mike just said it, that the way that we are set up and the way that we can defend for 90 minutes so very well, dropping so deep, so deep, so deep, but unable to get a result. It's credit to what Hodgson does during training. Again, as a player, I think someone like Wolf probably doesn't enjoy training as much as other players would. But as a defensive player, and you know the three central midfield, etc., it's so well drilled that again, the, the the person said yesterday that it's just something you get used to after a while. That's why you can play so well on a game day. And to kind of emphasize that point and, and the points that Mike was making as well, you know, I had to talk about this this week. There's not a huge amount to it other than to kind of just marvel at the situation. So let's start with, um, you know, we talked about how many crosses came in. Um, I'd ask you to guess, but obviously you've got the same information that you can look at as I have, so I'm just going to say it. Manchester City made 58 crosses in that game. Just think about that, you know, and we wow. made six. But, you know, I, I think, oh, I can't remember what game it was fairly recently, where I, I looked at our crossing and we'd put in something like 23 or 24, and I thought that was a lot. 58 is insane. And it just, it you know, it highlights the thing that we've talked about around their game plan and our game plan, sorry, about forcing Man City into those wide areas to cross the ball into a congested penalty box where we were set up ready to win those headers. So, barring, well, headers or, or finishes, barring two. So, there you go. So, that's that's the first thing. You know, 730 passes for Man City to our 278. It's just an incredible difference there. Um 46 long balls from them, 73 from us. I think we'll just call those clearances. I don't think that's fair. But yeah, 623 short passes to our 198. Um, average pass streaks, they made six. We made three on average. Um, but I just thought those figures are probably as different, you know, as the gaps between the two sides in, in that aspect of just passing alone um, is as wide as I think I've ever seen. And, and in particular, the number of crosses is absolutely stunning. But there you go. The game ended 2-2. doesn't mean anything other than that, does it? So let's talk about the goals, gentlemen. So let's talk about our goal, first of all. So obviously, we'd held out brilliantly in the first half. And I was just thinking, oh, we're going to get in nil-nil. That's going to be fantastic. Didn't really see it coming because we hadn't had a chance. We hadn't had any kind of a proper effort prior to this. Um, so obviously, after winning the corner from a, from a free kick knocked into the box and Fiate heading the ball down onto, I think, Fernandinho or, or, or one of the other players. 
But we got a corner out of that, which was lightly disputed, but was the correct decision. McCarthy taking the set pieces much better uh, than he was in our, in our previous game against Arsenal. Floated it nicely, just with a bit of pace on it as well to the back post. Uh, Cahill gets up brilliantly, times the jump to perfection. Really aggressive header across the goal. Uh, and Tosin has just drifted, you know, and I watch the replays back at how well he does that. You can criticise the defence as much as you like, but, you know, he just, know, he, you can just almost see the delight on his face as he watches, um, you know, the, the, the two marking him sort of just drift away. And he just peels off to the back post. I think Tompkins gets left free as well, to be honest with you. Um, but what a great header back across the um, back across the goalkeeper, headed down with with pace back across and there's not an awful lot you can do about that as a goalkeeper and, and you know wheels away in delight and, and a brilliant brilliant position um, just before half time to be in 1-0 up yeah um, I'm a big goals on Sunday fan uh, because I can't get BBC over here but goals on Sunday comes on part of my NBC package so I got to watch Cammy uh, break down that goal so a couple of things I want to point out one from the interview yesterday Hodgson credits Dean Kiley our goalkeeping coach for setting that up because they worked on that which is brilliant that you would think that all he worries about is a goalkeeper he actually set up this uh this uh set play on the corner kit which is great so first credit to Kate uh to McCarthy I've credit I've uh, criticized him for uh not being great on corner kicks etc uh, in his time he's had with Luca out but a brilliant uh corner kick so Cammy mentions that um on that corner, Man City played part man to man and part zonal, and that Bernardo Silva was the one who was marking uh, Tolson. But as the ball comes across, you'll see uh, Cahill has his hand up. So obviously, it is supposed to go to Cahill. So great ball by McCarthy. Headed it back where it came from, which you want to do as a player always. Tolson is now left free because Bernardo Silva loses him. David Silva, as you said, Chris, actually lost Tompkins also. They're both wide open. Tolson has the ball back where it came from again across uh, Edison's. Uh, body for a great finish so again just a very really well worked corner kick we've I've maligned all year about how poor we are from set plays and a team that doesn't score a lot of goals has to be better on set plays and it's funny how Tosin's first ever first half of Palace ends up with a very well taken goal and that one nothing lead really helps us now to kind of settle in and put pressure on Man City so you know kudos to everyone involved in that play really good goal and again I want to see more of that going forward hopefully Patrick just touched on it. Um, there's a comment from Port Slade Palace, Debbie Yates, um, one of several, um, asking whether Luke will get back in the side. And I suppose more generally, um, if and when he does, because obviously um, you'd expect him to, uh, will perhaps the, the set pieces be spread a little bit more evenly? Um, McCarthy definitely has been up and down, but uh, Luke has mostly been down from corners. Um, so if they're going to work on things and... You know, he can at the very least do exactly what he's told. Um, he certainly should be in the mix for more set pieces. Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, we had the same same point from Liam Talbot on Facebook where he said, you know, McCarthy is surely going to keep Luca out of the team now, right? You know, I don't, personally, I don't think that will be the case, but I think that it's pretty clear. And I think Terence uh, on, on redbluearmy.co.uk's um, account his account, <laughs> to be more precise, was tweeting about this earlier, that Roy had said back in November, I think it was, you know, wait till McCarthy gets run of games. You know, I, I said I knew he was good, but I didn't think he was this good. Um, so he's, you know, Roy is a massive, massive fan of, of what James McCarthy gives. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about his individual performance in a bit, but, you know, whether or not you can keep Luca out of the side, 
I don't know. It's a really tough one, isn't it? Because first of all, I'm not in the camp that has been overly critical of Luca. I think set pieces, the delivery hasn't been great, but you know, as I always repeatedly say on this show, it takes two people minimum to make a pass. So it's not just necessarily about delivery at times. It's about what exactly is the game plan? What exactly are we trying to do? Who's who's moving correctly? Have we got the, the setup right against the team that we're playing? There's so many different things that can go wrong. And if you look at most clubs' message boards, as I do, after games, or and you just have a little bit of a delve around, I would say 80% of clubs, maybe, eight, maybe 90% of clubs, are criticising their set-piece taker. They just are, because for some reason, as football fans, we kind of find it, impossible to recognize patterns in this kind of stuff about how successful a ball in from a set play is on a regular basis there's no doubt our set plays have been down from where they were and probably down from the general divisional average but success rate in that stuff is extremely low anyway and um, anyway so uh, I don't want to dwell too much further on that I want to talk about the rest of the goals before we get into some more performance-based stuff so we held out until uh, was it 82, 83 minutes, and eventually, you know, that the extra bodies up front, the overlapping runs, a little bit, of, you know, tired legs, not getting out to sort of close the ball down, not staying with the sort of the fresher players. But you can talk about all those things, but what you what you unfortunately can't you can't do anything about someone putting the perfect delivery in, and it's Gab- Gabriel Jesus who, <laughs> Jesus Jesus who does it, um, and. I mean, what what do you do? I mean, Cahill's position is actually fine. Aguero's movement is is excellent because he's world class. He's a world class striker, uh, and he just gambles that a little bit where he's just got a, a little bit further to the back post. But even then, he's stretching to get there. And you pretty much, if you do, you know, a, a millimeter <laughs> one way or the other, either probably Guaita gets it or Gary Cahill heads it out or into his own net but it's just absolute perfection and at that moment you know, I was immediately disappointed but I just you, you know I think Patrick you were the same on Twitter you just recognize that there's nothing you can do sometimes to stop a goal going in the net that was just that was just one of those goals yeah I'd love to criticize that goal but there's absolutely no way you can it's it's absolutely perfect you just you, you said it the Jesus cross is perfect Cahill gets there, he's going his own goal, brilliant diving header. The only criticism even Chris Kamara said was that he has to go with his feet. But even at that point, what's he going to do? Put in his own net. And again, Aguero is absolutely world-class. I've never really a fan of other teams' players, but I respect the good ones. And he's great. He's great. And you can learn so much about football scoring the way from him because his movement is great. And then again, there's no way um, um, you're stopping that. I mean, you can't, you can't fault Guaita, you can't fault Gyro, you can't fault Cahill. It's a brilliantly set up goal. And one one, I'm just, I'm just, I'm sweating. I'm just saying, you know, just get me, get me the point. I'll get out of there. I'd love it. It's a good point on on not sort of hero worshiping other teams' players, but yeah, you're right. I mean, he doesn't really do anything on the pitch, you know, other than play football, no. does he? He doesn't <laughs> shit house people really, unless he's, he's a couple of times he's got wound up, or wound up by other people. But generally speaking, he's. You know, he'll celebrate his goals, he'll score his goals, but you don't really see the kind of, you don't really get that level of irritation yeah. from him. Maybe because we have different <laughs> expectations when we when we play Man City. I'm not so sure than some other teams, but but he always impresses me. And, you know, just the fact that he's still scoring so many goals after so long. And 
you know, the evidence is there that the the brain is incredibly sharp, so he could probably play a fair bit, uh, play on a fair bit, yeah. And unfortunately, goal three sort of comes from a similar place, although we can probably be a touch more critical this time. Um, but again, allowing for the fact that it was such a Herculean effort to stay in this game for as long as we did, and that unfortunately, when when your opponent has a bench as strong as that Man City had, sometimes it's, again, very, very tough to do anything about it. But... So we were definitely rattled and we allowed ourselves to be pushed back. We were very, very deep. Um, we'd always been defending too deep anyway because of the way how the game was going. But the goal just dropped us back an extra yard or two. Um, and we were just, you know, you could see almost panic in the eyes. Um, and Mendy finally puts in a cross kind of first time. He'd, you know, the crowd were getting incredibly irate with him uh, delaying crosses. But he puts one into the middle. And, you know, Tompkins is going to be really disappointed because... He's, he's had a look um, as, as the, the cross is being lined up. He's relatively close to him, but he just allows himself to get way, way, way too far. And you cannot to go you cannot go away and mark a bit of space. And I know, I know this was talked about on goals on Sunday, but we've talked about it a lot on this show already, um, you and me in particular, Patrick. But what you can't possibly do is go and mark an area whilst a player of Aguero's quality is left completely unmarked. So that part of it... Is so disappointing, and um, but it is clever. You know, Aguero waits for Tompkins to have that look. He see, you know, he's he's looking across the line, and he can see Tompkins in his eye line. You know, he will see that the Tompkins has given that glance up, and a second he glances back away again, Aguero's moved, and he's moved just by dropping back, rather than go to the front post and you know where Tompkins has anticipated that ball being whipped in, he just hangs the back and. It's still an absolutely ridiculous header from where he is because there's not a huge amount of pace on the cross, but he's also fractionally behind him. So he has to turn and really get those neck muscles working, heads it down and heads it at an angle where, you know, Guaita can't get anywhere near it. Um, and it looks, you know, it looks for all the world like the uh, the opportunity um, that we had to get something from the game has gone. Um, but yeah, excellent header, world-class movement. But let's not dwell anymore on that. I've, I've eulogised about Man City's um, second goal. Let's talk about our fourth goal. And it all starts with James McCarthy putting in a really seriously good challenge in the midfield. You know, But having the presence of mind to, to get up, look up and play a perfect pass into the run of Wilfred Zaha. And as had been happening all game, as I've talked about already, Cancelo doesn't challenge because he's waiting for Stones to come across, as the instruction has been. So waiting for that extra man. By that point, you know, Wilf's got his head down and he's running and you know what's coming. Um, you know he's you know, he's too quick. He's either going to get taken down with a foul or he's going to get that ball across. And beat skill, perfect timing on the cross, goes in towards Connor Wickham. And you can see as, as the ball's being lined up for lacrosse, Fernandinho is absolutely desperate to get in front of Wickham. He's seen Wickham make the run, realised that he's he's not gone with it initially. So he's panicking to get back, grabs Wickham sort of by the shoulder and steps across him. And at that point, that's when he connects with the ball. 2-2 two, two, and a deserved... And I don't know about you, I was, I was obviously watching at home because I couldn't get up to Manchester, but... I screamed so so loudly, just absolutely loved it. Well, I think Wickham's part in it is really interesting um, because I wonder how many players we have that could probably um, find themselves scaring players enough for them to make mistakes like that. 
Um, and if he is going off to Wednesday or Forest or anyone, um, it seems odd on the back of Roy's comments about Benteke because, again, I, I don't think necessarily if Beckett and Benteke had been on the pitch, he would have been anywhere near that ball. Um, and I, I just, I, I would have loved to have seen um, a few different angles from, from exactly what Wickham did. But um, I don't think his part in that goal can be underestimated. Yeah, um, Wickham does deserve a lot of credit. So I'm watching it now again, and this is I'm just going to mirror what Chris Kamara said again. The part that's interesting is that, one, obviously, Wickham is a very strong, and he's quite quick. And he's making his run, Fernandino trying to block him off, and um, that really messes Fernandino up because he doesn't get feet set for the rest of the time. Blocking the player off is stupid. He should have gone to get into the box first. So Wickham makes a really good run. At the end, he goes towards the near post. It reminds me a lot of, uh, or a little bit similar to the goal he scored. He actually scored against Norwich. And I think people underrate Wickham as a goal scorer. If he gets to the right positions, he will score more goals. And I hate to see him go out alone, by the way. Um, and I really like the fact that if we're not for him, I don't think that that becomes an own goal because all of it, that's all about Wickham's movement. Obviously, Will's run is the most important part. But as far as the end end of it is, is that Wickham really, that his part in is underrated because if he doesn't have, if he's not in Fernandinho's head as far as getting blocked off, etc., and then gets that little run to that near post, the ball probably doesn't go in off of Fernandinho. So fair play to Wickham. And again, uh, I didn't scream, Chris, but I was extremely, extremely happy when that ball goes in and makes it 2-2. And I'm again looking at the clock saying, just you know, end the match, please end the match. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, on Wickham, I think it's quite clear that Roy, you know, probably sees him, you know, he's back up because Benteke is not available. I think it's pretty clear that Roy doesn't seem to want to invest the time in, in getting him enough games to, to, to get up to the level that Roy expects of him. And that's, you know, in many ways, it's disappointing because I think, no, that injury record has been terrible. You know, we can we can take it personally, but obviously the guy hasn't gone out to get injured. It's it's just un, it's just bad luck, really. And um, you know, the the talent has always been there with Conor Wickham, and if he stays fit, we know there's a really good striker in there. And like you say, Patrick, it almost feels quite. You know, you almost don't want him to go out when you see him being able to make contributions like that off the bench. And similarly, do you think you look at McCarthy and the fact that he hadn't played enough much football in a couple of years, and you know, and now he seems to be getting better with game time, and you know, Wickham doesn't get that same opportunity, which you know seems a bit of a shame in a number of ways. But you know, certainly made a contribution, and, and as I said, Roy recognised that in his post-match comments as well, which was good to see. Um, and the more minutes Wickham gets, and the more contribution he makes to Crystal Palace, the better for me. So anyway, that's that's the goals over and done with, and um, yeah, as 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 we've talked about, a fantastic result. Uh, and there were lots of other incidents, and um, as as seems to be happening every week, um, it's it's VAR that that sort of dominates really. And as a result, this. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. 
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Beaks Hamblings Ramblings is all about the subject of VAR. Chris Hambling's gone all ranty, something's really wound him up. He's using lots of nutty words, like bloody cripes and for Pete's sake. It's going to get quite heated, the air is turning blue. The refs have cut, the players are, and guess what, so are you. He'll whine about the tactics, the substitutes and such. But please don't get him started on Jordan Much. Hello and uh, and welcome to Hamblings Ramblings. Got to um, you know I've got back into the habit now. Did one, did one last week and very much enjoying the opportunity to do another one this week. And obviously they're quite difficult to do because I don't necessarily know what I want to talk about. But this week it's been incredibly easy. You know we've we've seen yet again a game expose the inadequacies inadequacies of VAR. I, mean, I still don't. Know whether to say VAR or VAR, which is my first problem with it. Which which one is it? But I think probably the bigger issue is that nobody knows how to use it. <laughs> no one seems to know whether or not they should go to the side of the pitch and look at a screen, or whether or not they should give a decision and then refer it to VAR, or refer it to VAR after not giving a decision and, and hope that somewhere somewhere someone's going to bail them out. And referees are, are using it as a crutch rather than using it to correct errors. Fans don't like it because it adds delays or is inconsistent. And really, the question is, what was it supposed to do? I mean, I think that's kind of got lost, doasn't it? What was VAR supposed to do? It was supposed to come in, identify what is going wrong. When someone has made an absolute howler, whenever Martin Atkinson referees your game, you know you've got something there to correct it. Something where someone in a studio is sitting there and can go, whoops, made a mistake there, let, let's sort that right out. But the problem is, it's the same damn people in the same studio, isn't it? What do we have this week? Well, first of all, we had everyone in football seemingly not knowing the handball rule, which, you know, a match of the day, Ian Wright was kind enough to point out to us that actually the handball rule is that if it comes off another part of your body and hits your hand, it's not a penalty. So why on earth is a referee giving a penalty in the game? VR corrects it. Great. Well done, VAR. Unfortunately, you've still got Martin Atkinson sitting in a studio being able to be a dickhead to Wilfred Zaha. Yeah, okay, Wilf. That's not a penalty. Of course it's not a penalty. Of course it's not a penalty. John Stone just stepped across and tried to put a foot on a ball. He's got no absolute right to go for anyway and he's collided with you when you're trying to shield the ball but no why would that be a penalty absolutely unbelievable and you can see those things being given up the other end of the pitch you know if VAR is reviewing that decision up the other end of the pitch it's given in favour of the big club refs don't use it consistently why is Tosin's foul being given before he's even had a, before he's put the ball in the back of the net you can review that afterwards you can review it after the ball's gone in the back of it so why waste your time doing stopping the game so you can't have that proper proper review it's absolutely maddening everybody hates it but mainly because nobody has thought it through or has any idea how best to use it Chris Hambling's gone all ranty, something's really wound him up. 
He's using lots of nutty words Like bloody cripes and for Pete's sake It's going to get quite heated The air is turning blue The refs a cut The players are And guess what? So are you He'll whine about the tactics The substitutes and such But please don't get him started On Jordan much Right, gents, so got a little worked up there. Um, not entirely sure <laughs> I kept a, a proper flow to that, but there was a lot in there. So can we please talk about the decisions, really? I, I don't know which one you want to start with, Mike, but I'll let you take us forward. Well, I mean, probably the same as you and the same that the majority of people that talk about VAR don't want it to be another repetition of what's been discussed, what you can turn on and listen to on TalkSport 23 and a half hours of the day. Um to talk about specifically for the game, um, I was managing the uh, back in S Twitter for the game, um, and I retweeted DR's absolute vitriolic anger um, at the Stone Zaha penalty. Um, I probably would have said it was a penalty, but at the same time, I could see why people would say it wasn't. In that um, there is, a, a, to me, it was one of those times where, yes, in a, in a current climate. Um, you could definitely say it's a penalty, but typical football, like if I go and watch Hastings United, that's just a, a heavy old tackle that I like to see in the game. So um, the part of me that wants that bit of the game to come back made me think that it, it probably wasn't in that Zaha um, pushed his leg round in the first place and, and Stones just got um, you know pretty tough on him. Um, but I could see if it was a penalty, I could see why. I think if it had come, if it was them against us, I'd have been immensely annoyed. Um, the Tosin... Um, being being told it wasn't a goal, um, or or being flagged as a foul before, um, before he put it in the net really annoyed me because, like you say, that the, the point is that they're meant to let the game flow and then review it afterwards. Um, I I thought it was fairly harsh, and and um, the goal could have stood um, if it had gone through and been given as a goal. I don't feel they would have overturned it because they don't like to overturn the decisions of their mates. So. Um, that annoyed me immensely. By that point, I'd become numb to VAR and I stopped moaning about it for the rest of the game, really. The one thing that really pissed me off was um, there was at one point, Tosin was pulled over by his shirt, which, you know, has always been a foul. or has always been a yellow card, even since I was a kid. Um, we'd been given some soft yellows already, um, including one for MacArthur that's probably justified, but I'm not sure the others were. Um, and... Man City didn't get a yellow, so um, the home 60-odd thousand fans bias seemed to kick in there, and that annoyed me. Um, that's the kind of thing that I would like VAR to look at. Um, so, yes, I mean, it, it was frustrating, but um, it's the same thing that every uh, away fan probably has at every away game. Yeah, I'll focus on just two incidents, the gyro handball and the Wilf penalty. As far as the handball on gyro is, and I'm doing it in reverse order for a reason, because I know Chris probably won't talk about the uh Wolf penalty first is that um the balls definitely went from his foot to his hand. It's it. I'm glad VR is was is in the game because to me clearly it's not a penalty. But the problem again is is the rule. Though the rule does say if it hits your foot to the hand, it is uh not handball. Had that been the reverse and it was an attacking player, what would have happened? They would have called. They would have said that you know it's it's uh you know. He would have let so the the handball rule to me just doesn't it just doesn't it, it's it's not written right to be officiated by VAR because the whole handball ball to hand if there's an attacking player gets involved and hits your hand 
then if it's part of a setup a goal, then the goal can be called back. Then I and I've seen a couple of times when Liverpool players have handled what halfway line later on has been a goal and, and a goal has stood. So to me, the whole handball rule has to be rewritten for it to work for VAR. The Wilf thing is interesting because I I would never ever call Wilf a diver, but in that in that case, um, people would say well he died. I don't think he died. But what happened? I think he 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 was attempting to get past Stones, put his his leg across Stones, and 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 fell. In that case, to me, it is not a penalty. Though you could say that uh, St- Stones tripped him by having his leg in- intertwined, I think it's a very clever pl- move by Wilf to, to draw a penalty. Uh, but I think in that case, I think VR actually got it right because I don't really think that that was a foul by Stones. Again, just the way Wilf goes at the last minute, his right leg goes out and in between Stones' leg. I think that for that to be called a penalty again would be very, very harsh. And even though I'm a, a Pat Goodspies fan, even I thought in that case that was not a penalty. So <laughs> here's here's where I disagree. And I think this is an, an example, in my opinion, of, of two things. I think in some people's case, but not, not in yours, Patrick, but in some people I've talked to about this already, I think sometimes you can be a little bit too keen to sort of dispense with your natural bias towards right. Crystal Palace. And you can allow you can allow that to sort of cloud judgment and these things. And that's only my opinion. You could you could easily argue that my bias is the thing that's clouding my judgment. So I'm not I'm not passing any specific judgment. But that's how I feel. I feel some people have looked at this incident in slow motion and have focused on the, you know one element of it. I think there's something that really really important because I you know I'm a little bit like you, Patrick. I won't whenever something happens where there's a where, where I have doubt, I will repeatedly watch it and i'll repeatedly try to consider every conceivable point of view and every conceivable action uh, that i can and in in this particular case what really sold it for me was the full speed um the the slow motion gives the impression that wilfred zaha has had a thought whilst running along of exactly where john stones is and exactly what john stones is going to do to anticipate a challenge to come in and foul him, right? But when you watch it at full pace, you can quite clearly see two things that happen simultaneously. One is that Wilf recognises that, you know, because he's only looking down, and he can maybe level a bit of criticism at Wilf for that, but he's not looked at John Stones at all, you know, for a good two, three seconds, uh, which is a long time when you're running at pace. So he's not looked up one little bit. So... He's also running probably a little bit too quickly towards the byline. Okay, so he's, you can you can sort of almost see what he's going to have to do, which he does a lot, which is effectively stop the ball and chop back because you know he's not he's not going anywhere else further forward. So in order to do that, and he's got every right to shield the ball. You know that's what's got missed in my opinion in this, in this whole thing. Oh, Will steps across. Well, of course he steps across. You know because he's he's his movement in that that phase of play, if you like is to run, get as far forward as he can do, and then shield the ball from the challenge. The mistake, in my view, is not Wilf stepping across. The mistake is John Stones makes the challenge. So, I mean, I know you've got it in front of you, Patrick. Watch it at full speed, you know, from from the wide angle before any other replay comes in. So watch it as live. Look what Stones does. And there was a brilliant um, clip, which I saw on Twitter. I can't remember where it's from where there's an angle where you see Pep Guardiola in the background and he puts his head on his hands, in, in, head in his hands straight away because he knows it's a penalty. He sees it from the side of the pitch. 
He sees that John Stones has gone in full pace to swing across at Wilfred Zaha. He, you know, he's going for the ball, but he just simply doesn't get there because of what Wilf does. Wilf has made done absolutely nothing wrong in trying to shield that ball. That's where I am with it. That's what sold it for me. And to me, it is a stone wall penalty. And VAR. Do you know what? And it. obviously, as you were talking, I did watch it three or four times at full speed. And you're right. Um, I I hadn't really thought about the fact that as Will puts his right foot out, that Stones comes across to make the tackle at the same time. So at that point, but here's the problem, Chris. They don't watch the. I, I don't know that. I shouldn't say this. I don't think they watch these replays in full speed. They look with them, um, you know, in slow motion, which is the reason why. I had my first initial thought. But now that you put that into my mind, you're right. Stone's leg does come out at the same time as Wolf's leg because like, Wolf could have been trying to do a step over for all I know. He could. You're right. At full, at full speed, there's no way Wolf would say to himself, I'll push my leg out now and get and, and go down. That's why I don't ever call Wolf a diver. But again, I wasn't saying Wolf died, by the way. I just thought it wasn't a penalty. But now that you said that, because uh, Stone's right leg does come out, you know, it does put a little doubt in my mind. But this is the thing, again, I'm going to say again, I'm, I, in this case, if, if VAR had called it a penalty, I would have said, fine, obviously, the Palace ban. But had, the fact that they called it back, I'm still not going to necessarily think that, you know, it was a terrible call. You know, again, difficult that way. But what you just said puts a little doubt in my mind, so fair play to you. Yeah, I'm not. I'm like that. I'm, I can <laughs> I can mess with people's minds until they agree with me. But I genuinely, <laughs> I genuinely believe what I'm saying in this particular case. And, um, and um, yeah, again, like I say, I think, I watched it too much, I've got to be honest, but, um, you know, I'll say, have, have a look at it from that perspective once you listen to this, if you have the ability to do so. Uh, and if you thought it wasn't a penalty, see if, see if what we've said changes your mind. But um, but that, I don't mind that. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have those debates. And But I think this really just highlights for me how the whole point of using technology to improve decision-making is not about having another tier of opinion. It shouldn't be about opinion, interpretation, you know, you're just you're just adding problems there. What you it should simply just be a yes or no, um, and and a quick yes or no. But anyway, we can we've talked about that a lot. No doubt we'll have to talk about it again. But let's move on. And we haven't got a lot of time because we've just rabbited on way too much. So um, key performances we've talked about Tosin. We've we've touched on McCarthy. Um, both uh, Miko Kurinen and Steve Sheffield also got in touch to talk about that. With Steve Sheffield talking specifically about how great it was to finally see a set-piece goal, which, we've, um, which again, we've touched on a fair bit. Guaita was sensational again, in my opinion, but um, that happens every week, so no doubt we can talk about that next week instead. Uh, mentioned IU as well, and obviously analysed Zaha. So let's. Um, now those were the key performances for me, but overall, you could probably give you know minimum 8s out of 10s for the entire team um, in, in what was an absolutely brilliant, committed um you know, display full of quality as well um, and a deserved point away at Man City and unbeaten in Manchester for, for quite some time. So brilliant stuff. So um, that's it. That's the end of the review. And it's time for Mike's Quiz of the Week. No paywall, no subscription. Back, Back of the, the Nest. Fan-created podcasts, videos and articles. Free forever. Yeah, so following the immense popularity of last week's What Manager Said That quiz, um, and when I say immense popularity, I think possibly only about two people mentioned it. Um, but, you know, that's two two positive comments, um, and it sounded like everyone involved had a lot of fun. So uh, we're going to carry that on. Um, <laughs> and I offered to do a bit of uh, quizzing, see how it goes. So... 
quiz of the week might only last one week, but um, we we shall see how it goes. Um, and I've not gone for the obvious thing. Um, I've gone for something that I knew that you gentlemen couldn't revise for. So uh, I, I probably expected that you'd think, oh, he's going to ask who else has scored on their first full debut and done homework on that. So I've gone for something a bit more ambitious um, to the point where I've essentially buggered myself over and made this actually really difficult for myself. But um, Tosin, so obviously scored against City um, and he joined the elite club of players who've scored for their country and also scored for Palace. Um, so I want you to name um, players that have scored for their country but also scored for Palace, but not just anyone. Only people that have only, are the only player to have scored for both Palace and their country. Um, so Tosin is the most recent example of that, um, but there are a few others. Um, so I'd like you to name them. Quite a few of them are relatively recent. Um, see how many you can come up with. Um, and apologies to anyone who works out that I've cocked any of this up. Uh, I'm fairly confident on the ones I've got, but if there's any others I've missed, um, please directly at me on Twitter and tell me I'm useless. Um, so I will give you each uh, an opportunity to go one at a time. A couple of them you're probably going to get quite easily. A couple of the others might be slightly more difficult. Um, Patrick, do you reckon that you know of a player that scored for Palace and his country and no one else has for that country? Well, one is uh, Wilfred Zaha. Certainly is. So you've got the easy one. Um, <laughs> Hambo, you need to think of some more. And I will tell you how many have done it while you have a think. Well, look, I've got, I've got one straight away, to be honest with you. But um, just, just a quick... Yeah. So we're we're alternating, are we? So you know, just going to point out to everyone: not that I'm competitive, and I'm sure Patrick isn't either. Patrick had a major advantage there, just just for no reason. He didn't even flip a coin, mate. You know, come on, Aki Aki Rihilati. Aki Rihilati uh, is not one. No, I thought he would be. He's not. Oh, just just sorry. Did he have to have scored he for had his to score for his country? His country whilst no, playing for Palace. No, he just had to score for both Palace and for his country, uh, and I was surprised to find that he did not score for his country. He scored against England, didn't he? Oh, it was one I, I double-checked. I'll come back to you. Um, but yes, uh, you you have another guy there, uh, Patrick? Yeah, I've got one. Um, Chris is going to be mad at me for this one. Only because I know because he played um, in a tournament versus the United States, so this would be Neil Dans. Just to clarify... I mean, I'm just so so. Akiri didn't score eleven goals for Finland. Uh, sorry, let me double check that. <laughs> Thirteen for Palace. He's revising, but he's also right, by the way. Yes, all right, you're right. Okay, so one all, one all. Um, so you're saying one all, but did um Patrick not get one for Neil Dans? Because I'm looking that up. One. That might be two oh, one. Keep going. Might be, might be two one. All right. Um, I'm going to go with Andres Rubens. Yes. Yeah. It's two all. You're right on Neil Downs as well. I'm gonna take an equally um um weird one. Ready? Thank you. Look it up. Ready? Crazy Apaya. Palace and Ghana. Had to score for both. Uh, I mean, yeah, right. yes, but he's not. He's no longer the only Ghanaian player to score. That's right, because Jordan. Uh, oh, Ooh, Jordan. Jordan okay, well yeah. played. Okay, no, no, nice one. No, you're right. Yep. So yep. still two two. Yep. Now, this is an interesting one, isn't it? Mm. I'm going to go with... Mm, I've sort of... I, I think I think I have I have one, but I'm not... I no. Uh, Claude Davis? Claude Davis, okay. I haven't got that in the list, but let me have a look. Ooh. 
Jamaica. I'm not sure, to be honest. I think he did. Uh, I think he got about two or, th- two or three for Palace. He did not score for Palace, no. Oh, he scored oh, two for Jamaica. Sure? Uh, according, well, according to his Wikipedia, two for Jamaica and none for Palace. Yeah, I didn't think so. Um, uh, just while you're, while you're looking, I'm going to check the official records just so you okay. <laughs> carry on. Well, I've, I've gone on Wikipedia for all of this, so apologies <laughs> if it's wrong. Is it my turn again? Yes, yes go again. I'll pick up another player I saw play for Palace. Emmanuel Adebayor. Palace and Togo had to be. Adiboyo, yes. Yes, get in. Oh, God, the website's messing though. me up for, che- for checking. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely convinced Claude Davis mm. scored for us. I'm absolutely convinced of it. Probably in a cup competition because Wikipedia has a habit of not including cup competition. Uh, cup competition uh, well, apparently, um, he had played seven on lane and 45 after signing and scored none in that period. But um, you never know. Yeah, it might be some random... I'm I'm so panicked that I just googled <laughs> Wikipedia. That doesn't that doesn't really help, does it? Well, I mean, I'm, you can't just Google. Wiki- what I will That's say is that the there are more obvious answers that you're you're probably missing out on to concentrate on Claude Davis. I know, but I'm now I'm now more obsessed by Claude Davis than Nick is. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I will. Would, I'll come back. Would you like Would you like some hints on the countries to, to to help speed you up a bit? No, yeah, not, I mean, I've got another answer ready. Don't not until I answer right. my question. Not until we run out. Then, okay, you know, otherwise exactly. Patrick will just go crazy, won't he? Okay, um, yeah, because I hate to lose. Uh, so I am gonna go with uh, Eunice Colker. Oh no, he's Finnish, isn't he? And he didn't. He did score for us, but I don't know. If he, oh, know. that's that might that, that's why Ricky. Kind of that's happy. why Ricky Lati's yeah. not. So you've you just yeah. you managed to lose yourself. My, I've screwed myself over there. <laughs> Brilliant! Well so I don't get one Colger, and I've cost myself a point. Excellent! Congratulations, um, Patrick. <laughs> I'm I'm going to give you one here that um, wasn't in it because he managed to not score for Palace. Um, that I think uh, Albert would be very keen on. Torgeli, um, Sandor Torgeli managed to to score for Hungary, but not score for Palace. Um, although he may have scored in in a random friendly or something, it's possible. Um, but yeah, okay. So uh, another go, Patrick. Uh, this has to be true because I like the way you 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 said about country. So Jose Font score for Portugal. I must have scored. I will. Che- I don't think he's the only Portuguese player. But let me check. Um, Who else did Rui ever score, score for us? <laughs> Portugal. That's a good question. Uh, no, he never scored for Portugal. Oh, all right, he's then. played. He's yeah, he's forty-two times Portugal, and he's not scored okay. a goal for them. Fair play. Far. Fair play. Okay. Uh, oh, that's, that's a surprise. Um, uh, Patrick Van Arnholt. Oh, no, no, I just thought. Dutch, oh, no, no, no. So there was a couple of Dutch players that have scored for us. Um, I will get the list while you have your go, Patrick. Well, what? Well, obviously the um most names must have scored. Um uh I need another guess. Okay, let me think. Obscure country, obscure player. Oh no, Patrick Van Arnhout has not scored for the Netherlands as of this. Unless that's out of date. Ooh. See this is this has been a um a steep learning curve about making quizzes particularly complex, hasn't it? Um, he has scored for the under-19s. He's not scored for the, the, the national sides. Okay. 
Well, do, do you want a couple of do you yeah, want a couple of hints on countries? Speed this along a bit. Yeah, let's start with um, some hints for Patrick because then, they, then we're in order, aren't we? So Patrick gets a hint, then I'll get him. The the Democratic Republic of Congo is one. Oh, All right, Yannick Balassi. Thank you. Yannick Balassi, yes. Uh, China is another. Ooh. Fancy. There you go. Yes, Fancy. <laughs> yes. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, Mali is another. Sa- Mali, sorry. Bakri Saka. Yes. Uh, Morocco is another. Marouane Shamak. There you go. Yes. I'll tell you what's more complicated because you wouldn't expect it to only be one. Uh, Northern Ireland is another. Hmm. If Patrick doesn't get this, I'm going to steal. My turn too. Northern Ireland. Now, Chris, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Okay. Michael Hughes. See, I expected it to be Michael Hughes. It's not. He did not score for Northern Ireland, but Ian Dowie did. Ah, oh, Dowie shit. did score for Northern off. Ireland. Yes. No. Wow. And you're obviously Ian Dowie, yeah, now I think about it. Yeah, okay. Um, South Korea. I was, whose is that? Oh, it's mine, isn't it? Chungi. Yes. Uh, Serbia. Surprisingly, there's only one. Luka. Yeah. Um, I think that just about covers what I found. Oh, no, one... Uh, Ecuador. Ivan Cavides. Yeah. He's got for Palace. one for his country. I know that. He's got for Palace. He did did score for Palace. Yes, yep. And um, now, this is the one I wanted to check. People might come back to me on, but as far as I could see, there's only one French goal scorer that scored for his country and for Palace. Have to be Beshwai. I was going to say Loic Remy, but I don't think Remy played. Oh my God, sorry. He's, no, he's, right. he's, he's, yeah, sorry, he's sorry. Belgian, so, yeah. Remy then, no? He scored for us? Uh, I, don't th- I don't think Remy scored for Flemini, us. Flemini then. Uh, played, but then. if people want it, it's Kabay. Oh, of course it is. <laughs> of course it is, yeah. Well done. Um, yes. And um, and you, you mentioned Rubens earlier. He, he, uh, he scored for Latvia. He didn't score any for us in the league, but he did score they for count. us um, overall. Count, so yeah. that, that Liverpool in the cup, well. about 30 yards. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so in the league, if it had gone league, I think it would have got too complicated. But yes, <laughs> that is uh, perhaps too complex. I'll go back to the drawing board next week, people. But hopefully that was a nice little reminiscence for you. <laughs> so obviously before we end this and... Um... Get on with recording our transfer podcast. Um, just one thing that I want, I just, we have to talk about it, gents, because it was just so ridiculously funny. Um, and that was a poor Newcastle fan. Um, his team score to beat Chelsea with the last, pretty much the last action of the game. And in the celebrations, he's come running down the stairs as the players run out, run into the corner. Matt Ritchie belts the corner flag and it just flies straight into the family jewels. And you just, you know, you you feel it, you feel for him. But at the same time, it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I saw the the video of the guy basically trying to recover in the crowd first as someone who was filming him laughed their head off. Um, And then I saw the actual incident from the TV pictures afterwards. And I got to tell you, that is, that is just incredibly funny. The great thing about it, um, so, as you say, the, f- the first few hours where this went viral, uh, the kid that posted it, Josh Greener, just him and his mates laughing at this guy sitting um, on the step next to his seat on on the end of the row, uh, just in pain. Um, so, I'm going to quote. I'm going to quote it entirely. If you haven't seen it, 
nah, so fucking Hayden's just scored last minute and Matt Ritchie's just blazed the corner flag into the crowd and it's only gone and hit this bald bloke in the cock. So it's done 1.7 million views. This guy is simply known as this bald bloke. Uh, probably never been in the media before, never been in the social eye. He's now going to be known forevermore as this bald bloke. Just sitting there with his hand on his crotch, in almost in tears. His he- entire head is red. Poor guy. I mean, and then and then the next thing I saw um, was Matt Ritchie uh, doing a, a knee slide, and I, all I saw was it it just going up. I didn't see where it went. I haven't seen it actually hit him in the bollocks, but. Amazing. I mean, this is why Twitter was invented. This is why social media was invented. And it's as good as that time where that guy did the slide right the way down the London um, escalator on the tube. Absolutely amazing. If you haven't seen it, well worth watching. If you want to see the when it hits him, Mike, go on to the uh, Newcastle United official website because they tweeted out this morning with a gif. And it says, apologies for Matt Ritchie, dot, 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 and the corner flag. And you'll see it hit him right in the... You know what? So it's actually very, very funny. I so even his own beloved, his own yeah. beloved club are now <laughs> ripping the piss out of him. <laughs> exactly. It and the the truth is, it is a phenomenal shot. I mean, because the the rotation on the flag, you just the chances of the flag rotating to the point where the one of the ends of it hits him the way it yeah, does. the spiky end, which it's is just, just... <laughs> yeah, it's the spiky end. It's just unbelievable. Um, you know the. Just the unluckiest thing ever. You know, I used to think I was un- unlucky being hit um, behind the goal watching a pre-season game at Eastman Palace Reserves played East Grinstead. And I got hit with a Calvin Andrews shot right in the stomach, which, you know, the, t- the phrase Calvin Andrews shot for a start is, um, you know, is quite a rare thing. But the, the fact of actually being hit by one, I consider to be a huge misfortune. But, you know, that guy's um, well and truly taken that up a level. Incredible scenes. Anyway, um, there were some last little bits of listener contact there, Mike. So, um, and I, I do think I do as much as we're we've massively overrun here and we're making a rod for our own back. Colin Squire's question um, regards why do some of our fans give not give new players a chance and condemn them too quickly? Obviously, that part probably aimed at people around Chenk Tosin, um, but there's plenty of players you can can put in that category as well, I suppose. You know, personally, I'm probably guilty of writing James McCarthy off a bit too quickly following his performance against City. I'm not so sure. But uh, any thoughts on that, um, Patrick, first? I think it's a, a bit natural. Um, I think it depends on, like, for instance, how the player comes and who the player is. A lot of times, like, unfortunately, with, with Tolson's deal is that obviously the comments that he allegedly make or he did make, and then people take it that the wrong way. And then with social media, you know, retweeting everything he said, that's one of the reasons. McCarthy, I, I'm like you because I was guilty of of writing him off um, before really seeing him play. I've seen him play for Wigan and Everton. Decent player, wasn't didn't think he was great, but he's okay. He's coming here, and yesterday he showed me that he can play. So I think that's just a thing that that people do. Um, it's it's not great, but again, I, I I always even if a player comes in, I always try and give him a chance, let him play, and then see it, where he goes from there. So again, I don't think it's it's an unnatural thing where people do it because they're just not, you know, they haven't seen the player play. They just want to be negative from the start. Well, we've covered Tosin's comments in 2017 before. I think that had a little bit to go with it. Um, but mainly, um, as you probably alluded to there, Patrick, we're talking about uh, low-cost players, loan players, and, and they're naturally going to get some criticism. Um, everything gets criticised. Um, but when you've, you've got tiny budget signings when people want £30 million signings, it's, it's going to happen. 
Absolutely right. And, you know, we always say it, but it's, it's hard to do. And that's, you know, if you can restrict yourself to just judging players on how, how they apply themselves in a Palace shirt, not prejudge, that's always a good idea. And similarly, just try, you know, again, I, I point point myself as being guilty of it. Try to understand that if a player is, is coming off the back of not playing a lot of football, it might take a while before you can properly judge them. And look, we've all, we've all been there, you know, for every James McCarthy, there's a Jordan Much, unfortunately. Actually, no, there is only one Jordan Much, and that's not a song that anyone will ever sing to him again. Um, right, let's <laughs> let's move on. Last little bit, um, Mike, if you can take this one for me. I'm going to change it a little bit as well, because Max Powers asked the question, uh, what we're saying about the front three of RU, Wilf and Tosin, and I think we've covered that quite well. Um, his view is that it looked good and we can cause some um, some real problems at our level. So I would I would sort of frame that as a slightly different question to save a bit of time, Mike, and say, does Andros get back in that front three when he's fit? Or Jeff? Well, it, it gives us options, but um, I, I miss Andros immensely. Um, I would be devastated to see IU out the side, but at the same time, he runs 20 miles per game and... and He'd probably say he doesn't need a rest, but at some point he's going to need to. And it, it just gives options. Um, Tosin is a lone player. And uh, in all honesty, I can't see us forking out the kind of money that Everton are going to want to try and recover their £27 million or whatever it was cost. So um, if he's used sparingly, that's that's fine by me. Um, I don't think you can automatically assume they're going to stay like that um, because Andros is an amazing player with a lot to offer. So... Um, it, four players into three positions is a healthy way to be. Definitely competition for places, people pushing each other, and that's how they, you get the best out of a squad. And out of your uh, your first eleven that you pick on each uh, each given game, right? Thank you very very much uh, for listening. Obviously, thank you to Mike and Patrick for joining me. Um, the Love Sports Show Wednesday eight to nine pm live on their website, and the podcast will be out shortly afterwards. It'll be followed either on the Wednesday night or the Thursday by the preview show looking ahead to... Uh, well, actually, we've got Southampton, haven't we, on, on Tuesday. So I guess we're probably not previewing, <laughs> previewing Southampton. Maybe we've been organised, we'd have done that on this show. Hey? Mm. Anyway, let's not worry too much about that. What's the following weekend, guys? Uh, uh, we're not playing. Yeah. Ah, oh, sweet. We can get to have, have a little sleep. <laughs> That'd be nice. Um, anyway, we'll figure something out around that. Um, but plenty of podcasts coming your way, daily transfer pods, as I say. Um, and, you know, we'll all be having a go at that. It'll be, be a couple of people per pod um, and it'll alternate um, throughout the course of the week. So enjoy that. Rate us five stars. Listen to everything we do. Subscribe to things. Go to YouTube. All that business. Cheers. See you again soon. Bye. the 90th minute all your mates around you've got your mcnugget share boxes ready to go your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget snatching all three points perfect order mcdelivery now on the mcdonald's app you in at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.